Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. It's Friday. It's Friday. And uh, not only that, but a couple days ago, Pastor Rod, you will appreciate this of all people. All right, right? here we go. I'm ready. They released, Apple, that is, the public betas of their newest operating systems. <laughs> 0.023% of our listeners don't care. Well, or no, wait, do care. Right, <laughs> no, I think it's the opposite. No, but I, I know you are a public beta user, so you've got them all downloaded <laughs> on your stuff, don't you? I, I, I get the... I get the release only when they smooth out most of the issues. Yeah, so I'll wait the, until they the release bugs. it to the to the public, like formally. Well, I'm an early adopter, so you're welcome because I'm the one who gets all the bugs. Thank you. And uh, thanks for exterminating those bugs. My house is full of bugs right now. Right, but there's there's some good things in the new uh, in the new iOS. I'm excited. Um, even just some usability things, like where they put the hang up button on the phone calls now has changed, and uh, it's uh, it's more cool. intuitive. I'm so about that. if you're still with us, you're a nerd like we are, and. Uh, I I, d- I deeply appreciate Apple nerdery. Yeah, I just want. I just think most of our people don't care. They probably don't. They're like it's a phone. But one thing I would like to ask, and I think they would be interested in, is to to hear about at some episode, maybe not this one, your your Bible study, your devotional setup. What does that look like? I think that would be interesting for everybody. For mine or for yours? Yeah. Okay. What you do, and I, I mean, we could talk through some of the things that we use, the tools that we like the most. I think that'd be fun. We could sprinkle those things in. Yeah. And I think that would be super interesting. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm game. We can uh, do that for sure. We will plan that. We will work on planning that. <laughs> um, hey, we are in uh, Psalm chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 today. There's four of them. That's a for lot you. of Psalm. And speaking of, I don't know if you saw the tweet, but there's a listener out there who came to weigh in on the debate between Psalms and Psalm. Uh-oh. And, uh, <laughs> and she was on the right side. She was on the, as in my side. As in not your side, as oh, in my okay. side. And so I just, I thought it would be apropos to, to call that to everybody's attention. Melissa um, is the only, okay, I'm looking at it right now. Are you, are you, do you want to read it? Go ahead and read the tweet. Okay. She starts out with, okay, thoughts on your Psalms dispute. And she says Psalms. Okay. okay. But have say the next decide, part loudly. Have to side with Pastor Rod on this one. No, no. It is the book <laughs> no. of Psalms. Oh, is that, I'm sorry. I just keep on. I can't, I can't get myself to say it. My, ha- my lips struggle have to, to speak. side with Pastor it's two letters that's it it's just two letters no that's actually three (laughs) pastor pj well my twitter handle yeah pjb underscore i have to start with pastor pjb underscore on this one it is the book of psalms like a hymn book you wouldn't say open your hymnal to hymns 23 that said love the podcast because of pastor rod so even in spite of your wrongness she still loves the podcast you know some people persist in error despite being told the truth and i have a place in that in my theology called the hardness of heart called a a seer conscience i'm okay i'm okay with it yeah bring on the heat i just know what i know and it is technically correct and true to say psalms 15 because you're referencing the book and not specifically the psalm you could say psalms chapter 15 that's correct no i don't use that just to be clear i don't say that i just know that it's correct you can do that but it's like the oxford comma i love the oxford comma yeah you would I do. You would. I, I, it feels like it adds clarity to the sentence. It's like, correct, but do you need it? 
Well, it depends on the statement of the sentence. So, I think you can use it and need it very well. Okay. Well, let's move on. We're not here to talk grammar. We're here to talk the Bible. <laughs> How many minutes have we... <laughs> Psalm chapter 13. Four minutes of intro talking about who knows what. Psalm chapter 13. This is part of what lets people get the deep breath before we get into... Okay. The, 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 the deep stuff here. They're probably praying Psalm 13 verse one right now. How, How long? long, oh Lord, <laughs> do I have to listen to this? Will you forget me forever? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, David asks some honest questions in Psalm 13. And I think it's a, a, a helpful for, reminder for us. It's that balance. We talked about it before, right? Is it okay for us to get angry with God? Is it okay for us to be transparent with our emotions and our feelings with God? And I do think we need to be careful, as you've said in the past on one of our episodes, Pastor Rod, that, that we got to be careful in being angry with God, but to be honest with him um, as far as how we're feeling, which I think is what David's doing here as he's saying, look, I, I feel like I can't find you. How long will you hide your face from me? David's being honest. And it's not as though this is news to God. God is the creator. God is the Psalm 139, knower of all things about us. And so he knows where we're at. He knows what our mindset is, how our heart is doing. And so for us to kind of put on a brave face with God and, and just hide behind doctrine and theology is, is not super helpful, right? And so there's a place for us to be honest in the, these laments psalms you see that in david but the difference is he always comes back to the the right thinking about god and again we've talked about that that's what differentiates him and job and he does that here in in chapter 13 in verses five and six but i've trusted in your steadfast love my heart shall rejoice in your salvation he's got a confidence that abides there even though it feels right now to him like god has forgotten him yeah i would say that all prayer even all true worship must have as its core honesty and transparency truthfulness if we're putting on airs with God, we're not fooling him. I mean, we might be fooling those around us who we're praying with and singing with, but God knows. And so yeah. why try to do anything other than be real with him? So I, I take chapter 13 here in this altar to be an encouragement, to be honest with God and to pray like you talk. And that's something I tried to teach my high school students when I was overseeing high school ministry back at the old church that we were at. I'd say, just talk to God like you talk to people. Be honest with him. Struggle with him. Be, be the real person that you are. Sometimes we have a tendency to... I don't know, and, and a desire, a, a good desire, I think, to be respectful to God and to show deference, we might speak differently, and our cadence might change, and our prayers might sound more, I don't know, formal than they should be. Breathy at Breathy, times, the perhaps. prayer voice. Yeah, Dear prayer, God, we just yeah, want to come and... Yeah. Yes, Lord. All right, we're done creeping you out. We're not going to breathe heavily into the microphones anymore. No longer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but no, you're right on that. Yeah, talking honestly. Yeah, that's super helpful. Super helpful. Uh, Chapter 14, he moves on to uh, just another Psalm of David here. And um, it's, it's all about the foolish person who right off the bat says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt and they do abominable deeds and there's none who does good. Romans one twenty two. There's a lot of parallels between Psalm Psalm fourteen and and Romans, but Romans one twenty two talks. Paul talks there about those that claim to be wise and yet they were in reality fools. Mm-hmm. And here we see that in Psalm fourteen one. The fool says in his heart, "There is no God." Right. And and this is not just the avowed atheist. This is not just the Richard Dawkins that you might be thinking about. This is the person that maybe even gives lip service to God, but man, they're living a life as though he doesn't exist. They're living their life not before the face of God. They're living their life as though God is just a, a, a mascot for uh, Christianity or a mascot for the moral right that, that they don't really care about from Saturday to, or from Monday to Saturday. But on Sunday, yeah, they'll go and give lip service to God. Functional atheism. That's exactly. what Christians can do. Exactly. 
Exactly. And then the the rest of this psalm or, or verses two and three specifically, you get this section that Paul quotes in Romans chapter three, verses 10 through 12 to elucidate and 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 put forth the, this doctrine that is known as the doctrine of total depravity, which means what it says here in this psalm, that there is no one who does good, not even one. That is in our natural state, apart from any intervention by God, we are naturally inclined towards that which is not good, that which is evil. And even our good deeds, you might say, an unbeliever does something that's good. Right. Bill Gates. Right. Foundation. Then then we got to get to what's his motivation there, right? What's the driving motive underneath the good works that he does? And for somebody that, again, is apart from the intervention of God, that motivation is always going to come back to self because we are worshipers of the creature rather than the creator. And the ultimate example of that is we worship ourselves over worshiping God. Is it possible then that... (laughs) I mean, who knows their motivations that deeply enough to be able to be confident that there's always that sense of, I'm doing this because I know for a fact I'm doing it because I love God and I want to glorify him. Maybe Bill Gates in the purity of his heart says, like, I'm doing this because I want to help humanity. And maybe he doesn't gain anything out of it. He's certainly being very generous with his funds. So how do we wrestle with that as Christians when we, we really can't tell our own motivations? Yeah, and that's fair. But even that motivation there, I'm doing this because I love humanity or I want a better humanity. That's the wrong motive right? Because ultimately everything that we should do is to be done, believer or unbeliever, the standard is we need to do this for God's glory, for his fame, for his name. So if my motivation is anything less than that, then I've got the wrong motivation in what I'm doing. Yeah. I remember John MacArthur once said, even the good that unbelievers do is bad good because Mm -hmm. it doesn't have as its central aim, the glory of God. And that's a profound point. I, I think for most of us, that would cause you to pause it and take notes and say, man, am I doing everything for the glory of God? And if right. not, if it falls short of that, then it would be by definition, bad, good. Right. Cause it's not for the glory of God. Right. Right. One more note on Psalm 14 verse seven. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. There's that word Zion again, Jerusalem. Here you have David who is the ancestor of the one that would fulfill that. Right. Because we know that the salvation that would arise out of Zion is the salvation that comes through Jesus. And there's even this already not yet that we're in here right now where the salvation has been procured for those that have repented and believed in Christ as their savior. But there's a future deliverance for Israel that's yet to come in the future millennial kingdom that's right. in view here a little bit, I believe, as well. So there's a an already not yet kind of fulfillment here. But it's just neat to see David anticipating one of his offspring, the the son of David, that would be the, the one to reign forever and ever as he's saying, oh, that salvation would come out of Zion. Would you see any exegetical significance in the usage of Jacob's name on the bottom of verse seven versus Israel? Or was that just a way of poetically describing one people, two different ways to talk about them? I've always kind of taken that second approach, but uh, pull that thread a little bit. What are your thoughts there? Oh, I actually, I I don't have a a singular thought about it. I was wondering if you saw anything in that because I often see the Psalter using different expressions for the people of Israel, right? Israel, Jacob, um, even talking about J- Jerusalem, Zion, or um, what's another word for Jerusalem that's often used? Uh, synonyms. What do right. we do as synonyms? Should we read too much? Should we read much into them, or should we let them be what they are? I, I would say if this was divided kingdom era, then yes. I think there's that that idea of going, okay, maybe Israel is referring to the northern kingdom, and Jacob, right. he's referring to true Israel in that. That's helpful. But this is not divided kingdom. This is still David that's writing this at this point. So I would say this is just a, a point of emphasis. He's em- emphasizing, look, this is going to be a time where Israel, Jacob, is going to be rejoicing and glad of heart during this season. Super helpful insight. And I would just to quickly catch up the listener here, uh, 2000 BC, we're looking at the time of Abraham, 1000 BC time of David. And of course, zero would be Jesus Christ. So just to give you some rough and dirty dates there, the time of David, we have a singular kingdom. It wouldn't be divided until uh, Rehoboam, which would be several years in the future. So, which we talked about in our opening episodes of this podcast. Yes, we did. uh, Second Chronicles. 
All right, chapter 15, then we get the contrast. If chapter 14 is about the fool, then chapter 15 is about, okay, so who then offers acceptable worship to the Lord? And that's the question that David asks, who shall sojourn in your tent? Uh, Who shall dwell on your holy hill? And then he gives a a description here and right off the bat, right? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Okay. Who bats a thousand on that? I'm going to raise my hand and put it down quickly. Right. Because none of us do. Right. And if the question, if the answer to the question is the one that's qualified to bring worship that's acceptable to God, which is really what we're talking about here is the one who's blameless and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. And then you go on there and he talks about some of these negative things. He doesn't slander. He does no evil to his neighbor. Doesn't take up reproach against his friend. Uh, A vile person is despised in his eyes. Again, these are all things that we're going to say we're not perfect in any of these things. So therefore, the question begs itself, Pastor Rod, are we then disqualified from worshiping God? Yes. By our very nature, yes, we are. Except that Jesus steps in and gives us a new hope and a new help that comes from his regenerating spirit. Mm -hmm. That gives us the ability to say, yeah, we we are blameless now. Even in a practical sense, you would be able to say, look, we, we do walk with integrity. That's the point of this. No one, even Job, Job was described as blameless. Remember that? We talked about Job being a blameless man and upright. Uh, Was Job sinless? No. And I don't think that's true of the person here, but it does talk about the kind of person who is a man or woman of integrity who has been born again by the spirit of God. Mm. Helpful for sure. Moving on to to Psalm 16, Psalm 16, significant Psalm. We get a messianic uh, statement in the Psalm as we'll get to there, but this is a a mictum of David. Here's another word for us there. Uh, What is a mictum? I, I, I don't know. It says here at the bottom of my Bible, a musical or liturgical term. Right. So that's super helpful it, and clarifying and, and narrowing down the, the meaning. It has something to do with music, and it, we really don't know. It says probably, by the way. Probably. Probably. Probably that thing. Maybe it's a rap. Maybe this was spoken word by David. That would be really cool. Yes, it would be, especially in Hebrew. It'd be cool to hear that. I think they're out there. They are. Well, in this Psalm, David's again in trouble as was so often the case, it seems. And he's pleading that the Lord would protect him and preserve him. Um, He has these statements of confidence though in the Lord, even in the midst of this. In verse five, he's got this beautiful language where he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Um, I'm going to choose him for my inheritance. In fact, that's what verse six means. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. That would be the lines of one's inheritance. You get this land, right? Property lines. Right. And he's saying, in the Lord, my inheritance is good. I have a beautiful inheritance. So I'm going to bless him. I'm going to worship him. Verse 8, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. So you have David, even in the the throes of needing deliverance, resolving and doubling down on saying, but I'm going to stay faithful to the Lord. I've set him before me. I'm going to live quorum Deo before the face of God every single day that I have. And he's at my right hand. I'm not going to be shaken. He's got this abiding confidence that's there. And then in verse nine, therefore my heart is glad my whole being rejoices, but here's verse 10. And this may sound familiar to you from acts as we've been going through the book of acts for you will not abandon my soul to shield or let your Holy one see corruption. Okay. Who's he talking about here? Pastor Rod, Acts chapter two, Peter stands up and preaches. Who does Peter apply this to? I'm going to go with the Sunday school answer. Can I take Jesus for one, two, three? Yeah. Jesus. Right. And, and, and that's, one of Peter's apologetic arguments there is he's saying, look, David was talking about this, this Messiah in the person of Jesus. Cause he says in Psalm 16, he's not talking about himself because David went to the grave and David's body decayed and David's bones are still among us. But Jesus is different, right? Jesus, the, the, the Lord God, Yahweh, uh, preserved and did not abandon his soul to shield or let his Holy one see corruption because death couldn't hold him. Right. And so David's got this 
forward-looking prophecy here about the coming Messiah. And yet, so what did it mean for David? Well, I think for David, there was this hope that, hey, look, even if even if I go to the grave, that's not the end. Even if I go to the grave, you, you're not abandoning me. There, there's still going to be hope for me in the future, uh, even if this means the end to me right now. And then the, the amazing verse in verse 11, which I've used in so many funerals that I've preached, um, he says this, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. We can't say that about anything on this earth. Nowhere on this earth, the, you, the happiest place that you can conceive of, you cannot say that the fullness of joy is there because the fullness of joy is only found in the full presence of God, right? And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's such an encouragement too. And I've used this verse with my kids and that's something for us as parents when our kids are wondering, well, what is heaven going to be like, right? That, that question that's asked. And sometimes we can have this mentality that it's going to be like a, a church choir for all of eternity or, you know, Cupid or whatever. Naked babies. Yeah. Harps. Yeah. But this verse gives us encouragement to know, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like. I, I can tell you some things that the Bible says, but man, what this, what I know for sure is that it's going to be a place of the fullness of joy where pleasures exist forevermore at the right hand of God. That's something that I'm looking forward to. You know, if God can make something as good as carne asada and elote, I don't Whoa. think he's going to struggle to make some really good things in the new Jerusalem. Dude, you, <laughs> you just flipped on like... And you went full Hispanic on, on those pronunciations. You know, just full disclosure here, I don't speak Spanish, but I am Mexican. So you are. There are There is an element where I, I do have some of that stuff, but man, I would love to be able to speak Spanish. Dude, white people like myself, we have no thing like that, like hot dog. Like you can't <laughs> say hot dog, hot dog in like a... <laughs> no, man, you could yeah. do the bratwurst. Uh, you could, I mean, there's but that's not... German. That's German. Uh, that's okay. my point, right? Aren't, aren't you German? Well, I am, yeah, okay. but I don't know German. Well, you could still say some of the German words with nine ruts in it. Nine. <laughs> All right. Nine. Speaking of nine times two, we're in oh, Acts chapter 18. That was painful. Dude, that was such a good transition. Okay. All right. We're in Acts chapter 18 and uh, uh, title of the ESV there, Paul is in Corinth. And so he's continuing on his missionary journey here and he's moving further and further away from uh, Jerusalem. Although by the end of this, we're going to move back, but he's there and he meets two people that are there, Aquila and Priscilla. Now Aquila is the husband, Priscilla, we believe is the wife there. And, uh, and they are doing ministry there and they're there because, uh, they, they had been uh, persecuted. They'd been dispersed there and he goes to see them. And here's where we get the idea that Paul was a tent maker. If you've ever heard Paul was a tent maker, PR, you've got a, a thought here. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Where did Priscilla and Aquila come from? Their, their moms and dads. <laughs> no. What, what country, <laughs> what country did they come from? A native of Pontus. No, what did they, the, the two they, people, they came from somewhere. I don't know. Did they come from Italy or did they come from Italy? Well, in Texas, they came from Italy, <laughs> but everywhere else Italy. they came from Italy. That's all. Okay. I just want to make in sure. In Texas, we, you dropped the A there. Yeah. The anyway, they're there. They're, they're Italian, Italian. <laughs> and uh, Paul's a tent maker. And we learned that right here because it said that he went and worked with them because they were tent makers by trade. So Paul's like, Oh, I can do that too. And so he's there, but notice what he's doing. He's still going in. He's still reasoning in the synagogue. He's still trying to persuade the Jews and Greeks, but something happens here while he's there. They begin to oppose Paul and revile him. And so he shakes out his garments and he says, your blood be on your own heads. This is verse, uh, verse six. And then he says this statement from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Significant shift. Such a significant shift. 
and he, he leaves and he moves on. And, and this was not easy for Paul. If you think this was easy for Paul, go read Romans chapter nine. Yeah. At the beginning of Romans chapter nine, Paul is lamenting the unbelief of his Jewish countrymen. And so this was hard, but it was something that, that God was calling him to do and the Jews were rejecting him. And so he moves on. There's an uprising there. God protects Paul through that. Uh, Paul leaves uh, verse 18 and following, he goes back uh, towards Ephesus. Now he's moving on to Ephesus. It says in verse 19, they, they came to Ephesus and, and he cuts his hair. Uh, there's question about that. He was under a vow. Some have wondered if this is a Nazarene vow or the Nazarite vow, but it was something that Paul had done similar to when he had Timothy circumcised in order to make himself a more effective instrument in the hands of God for doing what he was doing at the time. But it came time where he could cut his hair. So he does that there and then he goes on to Ephesus. But notice he still has a passion for the Jews here. He still can't quite let it go because he's, what does he do right away? He goes to the synagogue and he begins to reason with them again. He wants, they want him to stay with them for longer. And and yet here's the tension. He declines. And I think part of the reason he declines is because of that statement that he made earlier. I'm going to the Gentiles now. And he goes on to Ephesus and he lands there near Caesarea. He greets the church there. He goes down to Antioch against Syrian Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departs again and goes one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So that was the end of his second missionary journey, right? right. When he went when back, he comes to back to Syria Antioch. and Antioch, right? So there's nothing in your Bible that says end of second missionary journey. I often wondered why that wasn't the case because we so often utilize that as a structural marker in the book of Acts. Yeah. But you should know, dear Bible reader, that Paul's second missionary journey ends at verse 22. Yeah. And maybe you've got a study Bible or you've got a Bible that does mention that. Or if you've got a Bible and you write in your Bible, which I think is a good practice, if uh, if, if you so choose to do that, you could make a note in the margin that says end of second missionary journey there. That's what I did. Verse 24 picks up and we meet another guy named Apollos. Apollos is one of my favorites because he is just so on fire for Christ. And, and yet he doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge. And so this is your typical new believer who's like, let me out. I'm, I'm going after everybody. He's cage stage. Cage stage, right? Cage stage for Jesus. But he's going out and he wants to share the gospel with everybody. And I, I love it. He's fervent in spirit and spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he only knew about the baptism of John. How accurate could he have been then? Well, not fully. Accurate and we're going to see that actually in the next chapter. We're going to see exactly that, that problem. Um, but he's teaching, he's got the seeds of what's going on here. And so what happens is uh, Priscilla and Aquila hear him doing this and they're going, okay, he needs some more training. So he goes to the seminary of Priscilla and Aquila (laughs) and he gains some more knowledge and then they're able to turn him out to go after reaching people for Christ again. Why do we have Priscilla listed first here? Because that's what Luke chose to do. So I heard some people say that the reason Priscilla's first is because she's the one who provided the majority of the instruction. Um, Quilla was with her, of course, but in order to provide some social respectability, she, of course, listed with her husband, did the instructing, but primarily she was the one in charge. Therefore, women should be teachers. I think that's reading a lot of white space into the text. I, I, you can go back on the page and it says he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy and his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So there you've got right. the names flipped. And so I think... We, we do this all the time, right? Like I may be telling my family, hey, we're going to go over to Pastor Rod and Kristen's house tonight. Or I might say, or Mrs. Gomez, I might say, we're going over to Mrs. Gomez at Pastor Rod's house tonight, right? And because I flip-flop that, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to communicate one thing over the other. And so I think there's a danger for us to make doctrine out of details um, when the details aren't 
necessarily it's just recording we got to remember this is historical narrative and, and luke is is recording these things and he's not meaning for us to dissect every single order of everything on the page so it might be p- possible uh probable we may we may not say probability but we might say it's possibility and therefore if you if you are going to go that direction if you're going to hold that belief you probably ought to be pretty loose-handed about that right right yeah that's a helpful distinction all right well that's acts chapter 18 end of the second missionary journey um exciting encouraging and uh, just an encouragement to us too man if, if apollos is a bulldog to get out there for jesus with what little he knew can i just encourage you if uh, make sure that you're putting into practice what you do know about christ that's right so if if you know the full gospel if you're able to go out and you're able to lay it out for people then absolutely 100 let's make sure that we're doing that faithfully hey we'll catch you again tomorrow lord willing for another episode of the daily bible podcast blessings fam Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Daily Bible Podcast.